Hey there, NFT Curious listener. Ethan here from Edge of NFT. We did it. Along with my incredible co-hosts Jeff and Josh, as well as along with the huge crew of Rockstar team members we assembled, we have just pulled off a stellar inaugural NFTLA event featuring the creme de la creme of Web3 and leveraging the vibrant entertainment scene of Los Angeles. This episode is one of a series featuring content from the NFTLA event, which happened March 28th to the 31st, 2022. Today's session is one of a handful featuring impromptu convention hall interviews that our good friend Shira Lazar put together. We've organized them into tracks similar to the content tracks we organized for NFTLA talks and panels. Today's track, sports, entertainment, music, art, and fashion. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hey, it's Cheryl Lazar at NFTLA with Avery Atkinini from Vayner NFT. OMG, it's so great to see you here in the flesh because we do follow each other on Twitter. So excited to meet you. So you got to tell us what Vayner NFT is up to. We all know Vayner Media, of course, but tell us more. So we created Vayner NFT almost a year ago with the intention of helping institutions navigate the world of Web3. VaynerMedia has existed for almost 12 years and we've been helping institutions, primarily brands, navigate all things social media, all things marketing for the now. And about a year and a half ago, Gary became obsessed with NFTs, Web3, told us it's all the future, and we decided to create a consultancy within the walls of Vayner specifically to help IP owners navigate this new space and launch some amazing projects. Which is so brilliant. It totally makes sense. What were you doing before this? So before Vayner NFT, I was actually running our Vayner Media business in Asia Pacific. So I started our offices in Singapore, Bangkok, Tokyo, Sydney, and then decided to move back, uh, starting Vayner NFT in Miami a couple months back. And it's been a journey. And before Vayner, I was at Google for seven years. So a little bit of a different pace. And it's been an experience. You know Gary, so it's been yes. fun. Well, you're such a rock star, and it's so great to interview a powerful woman who's just killing it in the space. Because as we know, there's not a lot of us here. But what is that like? What has it been like representing women? Because like we're in so many of these Twitter spaces, and I wouldn't say it's a big trend, because it just is what it is, how we identify. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that it's a really interesting time because sometimes perception is reality. And of course, I understand the stats of men being the predominant demographic of crypto buyers and NFT buyers. So many of the amazing people and builders I know in the space are women. So it takes a little bit of consciousness for me to realize that isn't the full reality. That being said, I think that there's a lot of energy right now in empowering women into the world of Web3. There are projects that are being created specifically to help onboard these communities into the world of Web3, get them set up with their wallets, get them set up with crypto, whether they're thinking about that as an investment, as a community effort, as a new way, a new medium to spend their time as a hobby. You and I are part of a couple of those same groups, and it's been really nice to see those pop up. I will also say, though, here at NFTLA, they've done an incredible job curating the list of speakers to be intentional. Uh, gender balance, but let's just say the bathroom line is much shorter for, for the women's bathroom. That's what we always say. So let's go back to Vayner NFT and what you all are up to. I know the mission, but I'm sure you're working on some cool projects. 
Yeah, we're working on a bunch of cool projects. I think there's a mix of sort of owned projects in the Vayner ecosystem yeah. and enterprise programs. Just last week, we did a really cool program with Stella Artois and Art Blocks. It sold out in two hours, all wow. proceeds in perpetuity benefiting water.org on World Water Day. That was one that we were really proud of, a really cool use of generative art technology and a force for good. So we were thrilled with that. Um, we have a couple of other very exciting programs coming, a combination of free NFTs, community-oriented NFTs, and sort of brand-building NFTs. And one thing that I'm really looking forward to is actually launching some programs as an NFT first that then sort of move into the more uh, mainstream world. Consumer-facing Exactly. That, so we've yeah, been doing cool. a lot of like sort of traditional moving into the world of Web3. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be really fun to start Web3 moving into the world of traditional as we're seeing just an increase in this intersection happening right now. That makes sense because if you're a brand that is popular, has community, you should be able to navigate all these other spaces from fashion to consumer goods. Absolutely. And we're also starting to see some of the major NFT programs moving into the mainstream. Yeah. Things like developing shows, more popular merchandise, even like billboards all over Miami, popularizing some of these programs, events and experiences like what we South by. I'm really excited for the future of Web3 moving into the mainstream through some of these blue chip really brands. True. No, it's, it's going to be huge and it already is happening. What advice do you give companies who are intrigued by this space? They might not fully get it yet or how they should play in it. The advice I give everyone is do your homework. And for institutions, a lot of times we'll give these talks and educational sessions to hundreds of executives from Fortune 500 land. And they say they understand NFTs, they get what's going on. We ask how many of you have a wallet or have crypto and like two hands go up. So really immersing yourself in that experience directly helps unlock the understanding of what this community and what this world is all about. So first is always do your own homework and really get in that mindset yourself by getting your first ever NFT, probably personally, onboarded an absurd number of CEOs and CMOs because until they really get it themselves, they don't really get it. Totally. So first start by doing your homework. Second, start by thinking about what you can do to add value to the ecosystem, whether this is a new way for your fans and community to engage with you, whether it's an airdrop, a piece of art, a collaboration, I think can be really smart, but thinking of how you can add value to the ecosystem. And those two things are prerequisite before you get anywhere near launching your own project, in my opinion. Definitely. Where do you see the space going in the future? I mean, already so much has happened in a short period of time. I feel like there is a feeling either, I mean, we were in a bit of a bull market, bear market, and then everything was selling out. Then people are feeling like there's a plateau. What is your take? Yeah, my take is that it's the absurdly early days of this entire ecosystem. And we hear all the time, is it a bear market? Like things are down. If you look at it, it's all on a relative basis. If you look back a year ago, two years ago, like we've come so far already. We're still at the incredible early days of what this world is going to be like. And we're at the very early days of consumer adoption. Mm -hmm. We're a little bit in our own bubble here because we're surrounded by everyone who's all Web3 all the time. But if you look at the total number of active wallets, it's really small today. I think that my predictions for the future is NFTs will become ubiquitous and used as a way to sort of convey self-expression, convey ownership, invest in things that you like, collect things that you like, and sort of build your digital persona that can go with you across all of the different experiences you have digitally. I don't know if the term NFTs will stick around. It might go oh, the direction okay. of World Wide Web or surf the net or some of the things that we used to say that are long forgotten. Totally. But I think this concept of digital ownership is going to be massive and it's going to fundamentally change how people interact digitally. Well, Avery, so appreciate you. It is great to meet you in person. And thank you so much for sharing all these insights. Thank you so much, Shara.
It's Cheryl Lazar, NFTLA with Timmy Yang from Numbers Protocol. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, nice to see you here. And hope you're enjoying your time. Yeah. Have I you do. been to an NFT conference before? No, this is my first NFT conference. Amazing. Yeah. So tell us more about Numbers Protocol. Yeah, sure. Numbers Protocol created a decentralized photo network. We make photos, including images and videos, traceable and verifiable. So by doing so, we'll be able to challenge some of the important problems, such as the missing information on the internet or the fake NFT problems. So many things I think about when I saw the site and when I hear about this idea. One, I think about what maybe Getty, Wire, Image, or Associated Press on their photo service side has done wrong or like how they could decentralize it, right? Do you feel like you're trying to solve some of those problems while also, I guess, you're taking the photos from the crowdsource, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think well, the market we are adjusting is bigger than the stock photos. Okay. So we leave that because the photo is something that everyone is very familiar with. So you take a lot of photos from your mobile phone every day. So we think that in the weather board, so uh, what's different is you really own your own photos. So you got to decide how do you use that photos. So do you want to submit to a news media? Do you want to print it out? Do you want to mint it as an NFT? And then do you want to list it and license it to someone else? I think in Web3, we got the opportunity to use the technology to help everybody becomes the creator and then you got to decide how do you want to use your photos in the decentralized way. Yeah, it's so cool. So what are the options if I'm a photographer and I use Numbers Protocol? So there are several ways they can work with us. So the first one is we have an app available on Android and iOS so they can download. So all the photos taken from that app is a native weather photos. So it has a timestamp and and the creator, creation, location, all this information is online so that it's traceable and verifiable. So they can use the app and then very easily to create the Web3 photos and then mean the NFT for that. So that's one way. For some of the photographers, they also work with us in the project base because they have more creations. Mm-hmm. Or like the photo agency, so some of them also work with us uh, to help them to turn the bash photos. So imagine that it's just like, in the web two world, so there are so many photos online, but it's, it's very challenging to tell where these photos were taken and how these photos are taken. So that caused the misinformation or the fake NFTs problems, right? Mm. So now they all want to move to the web three world. They want to have the proper like creation timestamp and they want to have the proper creator names binding to that creation. So that's how they can work with us, and we will help them to upload the photos in the batch way so it's more efficient than taking the photos from the app. Do you think 2022 is the year of the NFT photograph? Like, do you think it's going to become more popular? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, 2021 is like the year of NFT for sure. PFB. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think people have a lot, I mean, myself, I'm totally into NFT. So I think I understand why there are a lot of NFTs that people don't understand. But I think myself um, sort of can understand what does that mean. But I think in a lot of people in 2021, when they see those NFTs, they were just like, wow, why am I going to spend like a million to buy this? I mean, definitely, although it's NFT is very popular in 2021, but there's 
still a gap between the mainstream people and the NFT. So I believe that 2022 is going to be the year where the gap is going to be much smaller. For example, like recently we're going to have a collaboration with a wonderful photographer called Kate Pears. She's an amazing photographer and her work is exhibited in the London National Portrait Museum. So uh, like photographers like this traditionally they showcase their work in the museum, in the gallery, but now they are all looking for the new way to engage with the web three and really own their own work. So I definitely believe that 2022 is going to be a very different year for you. Yeah, I love that. What advice would you give those who are photographers who want to get into this space? I think the first thing would be what do you want to give to people who bought your NFT? So for example, like the very common question we are asked is, so what kind of rights do photographers still retain after they sell their NFT? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I will interpret that questions into a different direction. So what's the right do people really get after buying your NFT? Because the NFT is supposed to be transparent, open and it's a permanent connection between the buyer and the creator. So that's actually very interesting because yeah. traditionally if I bought some creation and then the connection is over. So after I pay and the connection is over. But now because of NFT, so you are allowed to create a permanent uh, connection. So I think what kind of connection you want to build with the buyer, uh, what do you want to give it to them, that kind of message will be very important. And also not to be maybe overwhelmed by all the PFP generative art out there, that there's still room for the one-of-ones yeah, and yeah. the photographers yes. and those types of artists. Yes, I definitely believe that. Okay, so yeah. you can sell, you could buy, you could license, yeah. and all that photography on Numbers Protocol. Go check it out. Yeah. Really great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's your Lazar at NFTLA with Mark Radcliffe from DLA Piper. And we're going to be talking about law, legal issues around this space, which there's a lot. So let's get into your background in this space because you've been working in crypto for a while. <laughs> sure. Well, I think crypto is fascinating. I've been working in Silicon Valley for over 30 years, so I love new technologies. Yeah. I was very involved in open source back in the early 2000s, continue to be involved. But I think crypto is one of the most exciting developments uh, that I've seen in those 30 years, and I think NFTs are even more interesting to me than tokens. I've done a lot of token-oriented matters from 2017, but NFTs, the combination of building community, building art, getting money directly to artists is really fascinating to me and very exciting. Yeah, and I'm sure you have a lot of work to do. A lot of people need lawyers right now, people that understand smart contracts. So what are you looking at in the space right now? Well, I think the most interesting thing for me, and I think hopefully for the people in the space, is understanding how IP rights can leverage to add value. And I think the biggest example of that is Barry Yacht Clubs, who granted a license with very broad commercial rights early on, versus CryptoPunks, where they had a license, never really quite sure what the scope of it was. And then, you know, when Barry Yacht Club bought CryptoPunks and granted them commercial license, I think you're going to see an explosion in the CryptoPunks community. And I think that's very good for the community. And certainly the venture capitalists are giving a vote of confidence. They funded Barry Yacht Club at a 
$4 billion valuation. Yeah, Yuga Labs. That's, Yuga Labs. that's fascinating. So, yeah, what advice do you give founders when you're working with them on the legal side? I think the critical thing is to think through what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Because there are a lot of paths, and we're still experimenting. And for those of you who are in the industry, you've probably heard of something called CCO, Creative Commons Zero, is a license where you basically devote the, the copyright to the public domain. I think that's a license and approach which will over, will fail over time, frankly, except for very few projects. So you need to think about what are your goals, how are you going to build the community? Because I think the key to NFT success is building the community around your project. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. And what mistakes do you feel like people make right now? What should people be looking out for? Well, I think the first mistake they make is thinking that if something's on the internet, somehow it's available for their use. So mm. you had a group try to use Magic the Gathering and put it into an NFT. I saw that. And they got the most polite demand letter from the Magic the Gathering lawyer you can imagine. And they exploded on Twitter like they were being somehow disrespected. Well, mm. it, the people who are taking somebody else's intellectual property True. is being disrespectful. And then the other part of it is a thinking for the long term. Now, look, you can obviously make a lot of money if you just drop 10,000 PFPs, but I think what Yuga Labs through Barry Yacht Club has shown is if you think it through and if you can have a strategy that's going to make you a truly next generation entertainment company. Mm -hmm. I think there are going to be companies coming out of the NFT space that are going to be similar to Disney. Because one thing I've observed in my 30 years in Silicon Valley is the existing players, large companies that can be very successful in their niche, are frequently not nimble enough to make it the next business model. And probably the best example that everybody knows about is Blockbuster and Netflix. So it's really important to recognize that this new technology offers an opportunity to build really impressive new companies and also, frankly, open up the internet in many ways back to the original Web 1.0 opportunity of decentralization, participation, and basically owning your own data. So what will we be talking about in a year from now? Well, I think in a year from now, we'll be talking about how Yuga Labs had yet another success. But I'm hoping that there's going to be three or four other projects that will have followed their model. Yeah. Not necessarily exactly, but in different ways and be equally successful. I think we're going to see the NFT mega players like Yuga Labs move into traditional entertainment. They've already announced an animated film. They've got a metaverse project. I think we're going to see a blending of traditional entertainment Mm -hmm. with the NFT space. And obviously, you're going to see the traditional entertainment players getting into NFTs. But an example of how not to do it, of course, is the proposed Dune launch of NFTs, which we're going to be on Ethereum, which, of course, is still proof of work. So not a great environmental story. Yet Dune itself is all about the environment. And so that was just a misstep on the part of legendary entertainment. You were also part of TikTok NFT drop? That's correct. We worked with TikTok on the NFT drop. That was really interesting, really complex because we're working with third-party artists and we were introducing them to NFTs and how NFTs work at the same time trying to find the right platform. So it was a very interesting I think that's going to be a huge challenge because traditional companies are used to owning it and they're like, we gave you the money up front and I think that you could still give money up front and still give percentage. (laughs) 
Yeah, and frankly, this is a lot like open source, you know, yeah. which started out in early 2000s. And I see the NFT community as very similar to open yeah. source in the sense it's very collaborative. People are sharing information. And I hope that that sort of ethic continues because I think that's what made open source so powerful. And now you have an open source project, the Linux operating system which is dominant in its space. All the proprietary products have gone away. And so I think there's the possibility of similar successes for NFT companies in the entertainment field and in other fields. I represent somebody who's using NFTs to track patents, put together patent pools. And so there's a lot of use cases beyond just PFPs and some of the collectibles we're seeing and you know, you're already seeing sports teams using NFTs to build their fan base and interact with the fan base in ways which weren't possible before. Well, I think the main advice is to definitely make sure you have the right team and right lawyers from the beginning to make sure your contract is secure and makes sense, right? To protect yourself as it grows and the community grows. Well, as we lawyers say, pay us now or pay us later. We're already seeing uh, litigation between Miramax and Quentin Tarantino over his desire to drop NFTs based on the Pulp Fiction script that he wrote. And frankly, this is not unusual. We've yeah. seen multiple situations where new technologies come in. You went from movies to television to video cassettes. In each case, there are a lot of disputes over rights. We're going to see more of those, but it does offer an opportunity for people creating entirely new projects. And if they take the appropriate approach and have the right strategy, they can build a Disney and it will be very exciting. The question is, will the traditional companies be okay with this new way of doing things? Or will they not have a choice? They're not going to have a choice. So I think the reality is you're going to see many new projects that are going to be come out of the crypto native space. I'm working with one called Block of Horror, which is going to use NFTs, develop a community-sourced feature films in the horror genre. I think there's Jenkins, the valet. There's a bunch of other projects that are using NFTs to build communities. And I think that's going to be a very exciting new approach to developing entertainment. Cheryl Lazar at NFT LA with Boy01 from Books of Yay. Welcome and donning a great shirt there. Is this part of your brands? Sew it off. Yeah, this is actually one of the original art pieces that we created. This okay. is the Garden of Eden. I feel it. Okay. There's a lot going on. <laughs> there is a lot going on, definitely. You could call it peacocking, I guess. I was thinking about when we show up to the conference, what's the best way to show off our art? Well, let's just put it right in front of us. I feel it. It is definitely um. in front of us right here. So, Books of Yay, how did it get started? So, it, the concept extends from a 2015 art piece that we created as some of the founders. I was actually a sophomore at Stanford at the time, and we had this idea. I'd attended a Kanye concert just the year before during his Yeezus tour, and Kanye, I remember he was on stage and he's bathing in this pillar of light and he's wearing this outrageous Margiela mask and the screens they're blaring black and red and black and red and it was just larger than life over the top experience mm -hmm. and it occurred to me at the time Kanye was saying these things I am a god he was comparing himself to Jesus etc and one of us quipped we were sort of hashing it out after the fact in a way he's right we have this modern you know sanitized secular sensibility in a way to be at that Kanye concert was to satisfy this ancient evolutionary impulse we 
we have to feel as though we're part of something that is so awesome, maybe totally. it's holy. I mean, that's a thesis right there. Exactly. And so <laughs> it was just a thesis, exactly, just a concept. Oh, meaning like it could be someone's like thesis paper. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Like... So instead of writing it into a paper, what we did is we created a coffee table book. Okay. This is the Book of Jesus, and it was essentially it was the Book of Genesis, bound in black leather, etched with gold leaf, in which every instance of God was replaced with Kanye. God, you've dedicated your life to this. Well, I was a sophomore at the time. We were just having fun. This is um, amazing. And did he say anything at that time? We, no, we never heard from him, so there's okay. no comment there. But what we did hear from was media all over the world in all these different languages. So it became a viral trend. It exploded. A lot of you might recognize the Book of Jesus. And we sold you know, thousands of these things. It was kind of wacky for us. Fast forward a few years, and as NFT started to pick up, really what was so powerful about this experience for us is it really opened our eyes to the power of memes. Mm -hmm. And as NFTs started to ascend, it occurred to us that NFTs kind of crystallized this emergence of memes as like the preeminent currency of the internet age. And NFTs are so fascinating because NFTs are memes in themselves. Yeah. And they're memes that people can like buy into and actually advocate for and receive and are almost like incentivized to advocate for it. Like the NFT sort of collapses the distance between a meme and like an equity. Mm -hmm. And we thought it, it would make sense in the same way before as we made this conceptual art piece for the Book of Jesus, we would again produce this conceptual art NFT, sort of the first ever conceptual art NFT as far as we know, and it would comment on the what essentially NFT symbolized in this broader cultural shift. But it is still uh, yay, ye. Yeah, well, so I the... We <laughs> say it, it's ye. We get both back and forth, yeah. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue, I understand. <laughs> so this is, this. we're a team of over a dozen award-winning artists, wow. 2D, 3D audio artists, and we're creating this series of experiences that exist both in the virtual and in the physical world, as well as actually a original fashion line. One of our team members is a renowned fashion designer. He's been in the New York Times and Vogue, featured regularly in the New York Fashion Week. And so we're building towards what we're calling a brand three, which is a brand that sort of escapes beyond just the NFT world, appeals to a mass cultural audience, and sort of builds on this persona that we're, we're playing with. So a few questions. One, yeah. I know you didn't say anything about the book. What about this? I mean, now the brand's starting to get bigger and bigger. At what point does he come in and like, could he tell you to stop using his name? Well, he can't. Oh, he can't. Um, he it's, can't. A, it's parody? Parody, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So South Park, for example, said, obviously, there was, Kanye was featured in a few episodes, not in a very flattering light. Yeah. But South Park can, you know, continue to sell or stream, I guess, nowadays. And it's not an issue because it's parody. It's the same kind of thing here. Got it. And you're trying to build, you said, before we started rolling, that you're trying to build like a supreme-like brand out of this. Yeah, the hope is, take like the board. Yacht Club. Board Ape is also, obviously they've been talking about this SDK thing that they're playing with, but also they're creating this almost like a lifestyle brand, a headless brand, in the way that Supreme could like produce a brick, could produce anything, yeah. Board Ape could produce anything. The thing is, Board Ape, as far as we understand, seems limited to the NFT world in its appeal. It hasn't reached out to the hip-hop world, the sneakerhead world, it's not exactly... Well, they want people um, to reach out to them, probably. Yeah, I suppose yeah. so, but from just conversations 
conversations with, it's an NFT thing. The idea here is there's an opportunity to produce something broader, something that becomes a cultural phenomenon mm -hmm. at large. And the way we see it is this brand three idea is the future of brands. NFTs eventually won't be under the purview, say, of crypto. They will just be one of the many tools in the toolkits of a modern brand. It's just assimilated into mass culture. And so this is a vision from that future that we're presenting. So what's happening with you? Do you have any partnerships, announcements? Like, where do you see it going in the next year or so? Yeah, great question. So we're dropping our merch. Okay. It's going to be happening in mid-April. We'll be announcing it shortly Congrats. with a fun video. Thank you very much. And we had our Genesis sale just recently for this illustration is actually translated into a card. Okay. And we have a thousand of these cards and we're selling them over a period of five sale events. So the first sale event just occurred, you know, 200 members of the Meta Church. <laughs> I no, just I keep love going, it. right? I love <laughs> and that sold out, which is really exciting. So the merch drop is going to be mid-April and then we'll have our Exodus sale coming up and just expanding the following of the Meta Church. Okay, so the space, the NFT space, since we're here at NFT LA next year at the conference, what do you think we'll be talking about? Well, I just got out of um, a, a session on fashion. Mm -hmm. I think we're obviously not the only ones thinking about this. Yeah. There's something in the air, as, and so lots of different brands pop up, satisfying that next paradigm. So I think obviously there's, I think the NFT space is going to collide with mass culture, and mm -hmm. that's something that is a core belief of ours. And we want to ride that wave. We want to be at the front of that wave. And I would think right now you still talk to folks who are not in the NFT space, and it's like, will you just like explain it to me? Like, I still don't quite get totally. it. And I I think it will be increasing less alienating, more familiar. It's not quite household yet. I think by then it will be household and there will be more familiar entryways like fashion into this world. What advice do you have, one, for people coming in, but also because you've figured out how to memify all this and quote unquote, I hate this word, but go viral. On the other side of that, what advice do you have for the creators of projects or artists? Stand out. Yeah. I mean, I know that's like pretty obvious, but it's amazing how seldom you actually see a project that is genuinely doing its own thing, sort of working from first principles. There's a lot of derivatives. Competition isn't fun. It's so much noise and you need to find some special shtick or some angle that yeah. people can bite into. I guess it comes down to stand out. It sounds like a truism, but it is indeed true. Yeah. Got to find that secret sauce. What works for you? And then for those coming into the space? What works for us is that our art is unusually of a high aesthetic quality. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a lot of other projects out there, the profile pictures are often very simple, yeah. which is great in some ways because they can be very accessible mm -hmm. and they're very easy to produce as well. So you can make 10,000 of them, no problem. Yeah. The idea here is our art is extremely chiseled. I know you can only see so much detail. I Definitely. can't see your chiseled abs. I can see the chiseled art. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see Kanye's chiseled abs. Oh, there you see. So yeah, you've got chiseled true. abs somewhere here. And just to wrap this, but like you mentioned what artists and projects should be doing. But again, as there are so many people entering the space, what advice do you have for them who are wanting to maybe be consumers to or just participate? Do a lot of research, yeah. is what I would say. Don't just jump in and, I mean, obviously, I think actually building something is a great way to learn, True. of course, but I wouldn't bet the house on the first thing that you do before doing a lot of research. Or joining a team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really is nuanced. It requires, like, there's this moment where we started this back in the September, yeah. mid-September, and I think there's this moment in October where we were getting really serious into it, and we realized, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Like, 
like this is a very idiosyncratic space and the technical side requires a lot of depth of knowledge and the marketing side the actual like consumers in the market look for things that consumers in other markets don't look for yeah. it really requires either a lot of time or excellent advisors but I wouldn't just like assume that this space works like other spaces I wouldn't just jump in head first without being ready okay well boy oh one thank you so much appreciate it thank you for having us this has been a lot of fun We interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best-kept secrets in the NFT space right now, the Koi Network. If you are a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high-energy usage of old-school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing Koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it? Hey, it's Cheryl Lazar at NFTLA with Rebecca and Alona from Aria Exchange. Hello. Hello. So happy to be here. I know. It's great to have you. How's NFTLA for you? I have to say, I think I would be, we would be remiss if we didn't start by saying that in the wake of a two-year pandemic, it is pretty spectacular to see thousands of people yeah. in a space together, unmasked for the most part, just collaborating and hearing about innovation and talking about innovation. It's been exciting for us, for sure. There's this amazing, just insatiable appetite for information mm -hmm. and learning and curiosity and just being able to be a part of that and absorbing all that energy. We're so excited. Well, it's been amazing. It's great to see two power women here also, I must say, in Thank this industry. You. Right? We're excited. We're excited <laughs> to represent. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about Aria Exchange. So REA Exchange is a digital media company, and we are now launching, actually this week, our NFT exchange in partnership with some pretty spectacular sports players associations and athletes. Okay. I think at the moment we're looking at thousands on our platform, and I think Lo can dive a little bit deeper into what's coming on REA, but that is who we are, and we are excited to be part of Web3. And being women who are leaders in this space, I think you can see from the environment here, we are definitely unicorns in this space, <laughs> and we hope that that doesn't stay that way. Right. But at the moment, we are leading the charge here. Absolutely. We're all about just diving into the metaverse. I mean, there's so much excitement and discussion and dialogue and collaborations happening here and outside of here. We're just really looking at connecting with a new community yep. of consumers and really being trailblazers in the space when we think about really being those cultural caretakers that blend the combination of nostalgia and the memories that haven't been made yet. Because we know people truly want to find ways to not only collect the things that they're really passionate about, but also freeze those moments in their lives. And we're creating the ability to do that in a digitized space. Well, yeah, because what were you all doing before this, before you entered into Web3? And how has it informed what you're doing now? 
I come from an interesting background. Yeah. I was an attorney by trade, yeah. and I partnered with someone who had a really vast digital media background. And we just saw this as an opportunity to really change the way that consumers shop do business, the way that athletes and creators are able to own content and be a part of the story. So I think we were all creators at heart. Mm -hmm. And this is now, Web3 is an opportunity to change the landscape and the way that people have really been consuming things and viewing their world in a way that's never been seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think what you've heard a lot here Mm -hmm. is that we are just scratching the surface. This is the tip of the iceberg. We are looking at NFTs as digital collectibles, but they're not. There's so much more than that. There is utility behind them. We can open up the metaverse to people, a place that they've never seen before, offer them an opportunity to use an NFT as a passport, as a ticket into a world that they wouldn't otherwise have access to, build community, give really, you know, we look at sports for RE Exchange. Athletes who really were immersed in collectibles and memorabilia only at the onset of that market, right? You had a digital card or a trading card and you were paid for that trading card. But as it traded hands and continued to earn value and become more valuable, they weren't part of that story anymore. Mm, And we talk about athletes, but insert creator, right? They didn't own a piece of that anymore. And so there was no skin in the game. And now you're looking at an opportunity for creators, for athletes, to become a part of the story, to own a piece of that story in perpetuity. So there's incentive to tell stories now, Mm -hmm. to give you that untold story, to give you a look into a life that you hadn't seen before. This is an interesting time, and it's a natural extension of where we came from, Uh but a new world in a lot of ways. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I've spent the last 20 years in sports. I spent the part of my career in brand at Nike, the latter part of my career at Adidas, and the two biggest takeaways from both of those brands are the obsession to serve the consumer Mm -hmm. and bringing that experience into a digitized space, knowing that at the end and we are at the service of the consumer. Our goal is to find ways to not only just craft stories, but bring our consumers closer to the subject and the people that they feel the most passionate about. And we sat through several different panels listening to Baron Davis and Chris Conley talk about this notion of not only giving access to people who are on the consumer side, but also giving access to people that are wanting to be creators. And Steve Aoki yesterday talked about how in the digitized space, there's this really interesting paradigm that doesn't translate in any other industry where you have the ability to both be the creator Mm. and the curator. And for me, coming from a space where we were always the creators, it's really exciting to really be able to pass that baton back and forth between being the brand that helps facilitate and stand up a piece of art that lives on our exchange, but also be the collectors on the back end being equally excited to think about and collect Babe Ruth or Jason Tatum or Max. Scherzer because we're sports fans at the end of the day. Yeah, I think the future of NFTs and sports, there's like so much that's possible. Absolutely. Where do you see the trends going? What excites you? Yeah, so I think for me, it's seeing and validating at this conference that there are no boundaries. 
that when you take this notion of collectability and you think about celebrating and championing the things that have happened in the past, but you also don't know what's going to happen in the future. As a sports fan, you're always at sort of the tip of that adrenaline of what's going to happen with your team, what's going to happen with the athlete that you follow. Mm -hmm. And now there's all these different avenues that you can take, whether it's through the lens of collectability or utility or interoperability. And again, as a sports fan who has my teams that I follow, when I think about the fact that I can now take something from 2D to 3D and be able to then add utility to that to compete even more with whether it's my group of friends or people that I don't even know, it just really expands the community aspect of things. And it not only brings me closer to people that I might never meet otherwise, but it also brings me closer to the subject matter. So I really feel like I'm part of the story as opposed to I'm only observing it from the sidelines. And look, I think we heard industry leaders speak here whether it was Yatsui Mm -hmm. from Animoca Brands or Mark Cuban or Dylan Rosenblatt, talk about how this is the beginning. And so I think we've heard a lot about people saying, is this the emperor's new clothes? It's not. Mm -hmm. This is the beginning. The digital world is not going anywhere. I think what you are going to see is some of the noise die down. I think to Lowe's point, we have a lot of players in this space who are looking to monetize an opportunity. And while there is certainly money in this space, that is not the key to the space. The key to the space is community and creation and curation and true art. And if you focus on that, I think you will see the leaders emerge in this market. And the ones who don't will kind of die down and fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So I do think we're going to see some of that play out in the next six months. Yeah, I think we're going to see, again, I think the easy part now is the drop of the NFT, the creation of a digital asset. What I think you're going to start seeing is people who underestimate the consumer who are just dropping a digitized version of a static asset, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. What's the utility? What's special about it? How do you mix what we call the fidgetal world, digital and physical world? How do they come together? We call it fidgetal. New buzzword. You heard it here first. (laughs) But how does that all come together? And that's what you're going to start to see in the next six months. You're going to see a lot more of the utility, that buzzword you've heard Mm -hmm. here. What is utility? What does that mean? What does it mean to have something beyond just a collection? Yeah, that's all coming. And I think that's incredibly exciting for us. Yeah. So you're working, obviously, with people who are name brands, right? And athletes. But then are you also working with the fans and the collectors? And if they own a physical thing, can then they work with you to make it digital? And a mint, yeah. Absolutely. So I think we're really looking at things through a phased approach so that we can read, react, learn, evolve. That for us is super important because I think a lot of people kind of mirror the sentiment of what might work on Monday might not work come Wednesday. And so it's such an evolutionary space on a daily basis. And our goal is to start with telling the athlete story first or the artist story first. And then as we build on that narrative and we really understand what the consumer is looking for as participation in this Mm -hmm. space, then we start to evolve that and we start to give the consumer access to build on that. Again, whether it's through interoperability, whether it's through gaming, or it's creating their own version of that extension, that's absolutely in the pipeline. Okay, cool. I was wondering because I could see it's all possible because so many people have a valuable collection. Absolutely. They should be doing something with that in this space as well. And I think they're just learning now of there is value in the collection that I have and I can continue to increase and appreciate this tangible item 
by digitizing yeah. it and again partnering with the right individuals collaborating with the right individuals to almost like share in that collection mm, but not yeah. feel like you're giving that collection away because it's close to heart or you've held on to it for X amount of years totally. when you think like baseball trading cards yeah. you know, most people don't just give those away because it's something that they've collected over the last few decades and so giving them the opportunity to say hey we can actually do a fractionalized ownership model where you can allow this to live in a 49% capacity in the digitized world and someone who's an equal fan would benefit from saying that they're part owner in this. This is really exciting and again just scratching the surface in that space. So what advice do you have for those coming into this space right now? Be open and be open to learn because again there's so much out there. There's so much to be offered and it's not a traditional or conventional space. Mm -hmm. So I would just really advise people do your research. Being the first isn't always being the best and so I think there's sometimes this urgency and this impulsive sort of reaction to oh this is launching I want to be a part of it. Do your homework and really understand what you're launching into whether you're a consumer or a company because there's a lot to take in. And once you feel like you have a foundational education, I think you become more confident in the decisions that you're making to either acquire a piece, yeah. sell it on the secondary market, collaborate with a brand. There's a lot of, a lot of options. And so I think the more people can educate themselves, the more confident and successful they can feel in the space. And look, I think it's overwhelming for a lot of people. I don't think it will be. We've heard people say, you know, my kid's going to want an NFT for Christmas. It will not be overwhelming forever. But I think you start with what you love. If you love sports, start with sports. If you love art, start with art. If you love music, start with music. Go somewhere where it's made easy for you. Aria Exchange, with our partners at Infinite World, we enable Stripe. So you can use a credit card. You don't have to enable a crypto wallet and be fluent in cryptocurrency and understand that world. Mm -hmm. Start somewhere comfortable and then learn about these crypto wallets. How do they work? How do I set one up? How do I start trading? How does the secondary marketplace work? So again, start with what you love. Do your research for sure. Start with a more easy access entree into this space Mm -hmm. and evolve and don't be afraid of it. Really just don't be afraid of it. I love that. Jump in. Yes. So Aria Exchange, where can people find out more? Get involved. Anything else coming up that you want to share? Yes, absolutely. We've got so many exciting things coming up. Like my adrenaline immediately spikes when I talk about it. So ariexchange.com is where we live. We are actually launching in the next couple of weeks with a access key, which comes with a plethora of benefits that range from access to NFTs that we have coming up to experiences that we're going to host, brand events that we're partnering with some really big names on. And then this summer, which we're super excited about, we will be dropping NFTs from some amazing athletes. We have a partnership with Jason Tatum. We're very excited about the run that the Celtics are making right now. Even as a Laker fan, it's difficult (laughs) for me to say this, but as a supporter of Jason, we're really excited about the space that that team is in. We've got some great things coming up with Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Honus Wagner and Hank Aaron. And that's just our baseball portfolio. We have a portfolio in basketball and in football. We're partnered with several leagues with the NBA RPA, which is the Retired Players Association. So our pipeline is insane. And again, as sports fans, that's our starting point. We're also going to be penetrating art and entertainment. And there's just a lot of things behind the curtain coming up in Q3 and Q4. I think that's it. Yeah, that was great. We'll like have the, okay. like, well, do you feel good? Did you share everything you wanted to share? I think so. I hope so. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Cheryl Lazar at NFTLA with Nathan from Secker Factory DAO. We're about to get into a convo all about DAOs. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us at NFTLA. How's it going for you? It's been all right. How about you? Good. Cool. I mean, we've been busy doing interviews. I've been meeting a lot of people. Yeah. It's cool to see this space here in LA, us having like our first conference here. Yeah, well, welcome. I'm from LA. So Me too. Well, I live native. in LA. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so you're quite familiar. So tell us more about your DAO. Yeah. So we are experimenting in what it means to be digital arts. So okay. our DAO is a collective of people that have come together to give an environment to digital artists and hmm. allow them to have the place to figure out what it means to have authentic digital art. So we are a collective of artists from around the world. We have a physical space here in Los Angeles for them to present their work that we build out with cool things like projectors and portals to the metaverse where you can interact with people in the VR space. So you can enjoy this space not only in downtown Los Angeles, but from all over the world. And we don't use single curators. We don't have the typical gallery sort of approach mm -hmm. to art. We are a democratic approach. We use the collective wisdom of the crowds to decide what's a cool vibe and what should be considered digital art. Really cool. When yeah. did this all begin and how long did it take to get to where you're at right now? So this idea started about eight months ago. And I come from a long history of building DAOs, DAO tooling, DAO theory. How long have DAOs been around? <laughs> Since uh, Bitcoin, yeah. Yeah, but now it seems like it's being popularized. Right, so DAOs are going through a transformation. Yeah. You know, we've had the original DAO that was back in the Ethereum days that kind of blew up and had some issues that have caused some wakes in the community of Ethereum. And since then, DAOs are moving towards more of a human interactive place where humans are more involved. It's a little mm -hmm. bit less automated. And you see that in this space as well. It's a collection of artists and technologists and curators and collectors and people who just appreciate art. So how did you get your DAO together? Like, how did you make it so it actually could You start work? somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. You find a couple of people who are willing to help you build out the idea. They think it's a cool thing to do. And you start finding the community that would be towards the goal of the DAO. So our goal is to preserve art, to give a healthy place for digital arts to find its footing now that we're giving the tools of applied cryptography to give us the provenance of what art is and so now you can see digital artists moving from a corporate world where they might have to stick to a desk to get a paycheck to survive to where they can have the life of an actual artist in the digital now so we started collecting artists from around the world and just reaching out to them asking them if they think this is a cool idea if they want to have a gallery that they co-own and operate and have a say 100% in what happens in that space and a lot of people think it's a cool idea so they started what was the initial investment to be part of that so we have an open policy right now. You can just come in and you can contribute. So there's ways to just join the DAO just by contributing arts, knowledge of arts. We have people like that do lighting and film and being in LA, it's a lot of awesome talents in that space. So you can you know, use merits to earn your way in and it operates like a co-op. So there's a membership card as well so that you can get special privileges and advantages and by using parts of the co-op to mm -hmm. buy into and support the commons so that you get access to the art in ways that wouldn't normally be open to the public, but it's still an open and public experience. It's something that we want people to enjoy yeah. and to have the ability to come in, experience digital art in a new way that's maybe not done before. So was the gallery space and everything you're doing now funded by the DAO or was it by like self-funded? That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. So it's self-funded okay. and there's a good reason for that. We want the ownership model to reflect that of co-ops where mm -hmm. it is something where the artists and everybody that is involved in the space gets to own 100% and we're very 
conscious of workers' ownership, and it's in the name. Seker is an Egyptian god of the underworld that became a patron of the workers that were building the tombs for the fancy pharaohs and stuff like that. And so it's a big, important part of what we're doing. We intentionally keep venture capitalists away from the factories so that they're not allowed to have any ownership rights that the workers would be losing otherwise. There are challenges with DAOs. Like people think they could just start a DAO, but there are certain things that you need to have as part of it for it to be like the legalities around it, right? It depends on how you do your DAO. Yeah, what do you need to look out for when you're building that? I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to give out legal advice. Yeah, this is your experience advice. But DAOs have a unique advantage that generally you can go public a little bit faster if you are a really decentralized DAO, right? So part of the Howey test for going public with SEC is are the people that are investing in this thing actively participating in this thing. So if you have a DAO that people are helping to build all of it and there's less of a controlling system that is in charge of how the profit is made, then you're in a pretty good place to go public. So DAOs have this nice kind of area to crowdsource and the co-ops do a similar thing as well where they get their initial seed money and startup capital from the members that Mm -hmm. want to use the thing that they're building. But if you just are starting a DAO, like a lot of people just throw that word around. You need to look at certain things in order to do it. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, DAOs right now are starting to look a little bit more like C-Corps and the name itself is not really reflective in how the organization is operating. You know, you'll see a lot of A16Z investing in different DAOs and the ownership model is clearly in their hands and they're getting large chunks of the equity and the ownership and the voting power especially. I mean, DAOs are moving from DeFi into now kind of everything. You'll see impact DAOs uh, like Climate DAO, which is, you know, really cool and, you know, just little things like Cabin DAO where people get together in the woods and discuss what it's like to start DAOs and create DAOs. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's a whole kind of wide spectrum of what DAOs are, and we're in like a very exploratory phase. And part of what we're doing at the Secret Factory is trying to lay down an example of how DAOs can be really decentralized and how they can be really healthy for the people that are involved in the DAOs and giving them the ownership and the power to have the syndicalism is the word, where the ownership model is in the workers' hands and they get to benefit from the surplus of everything that they produce as opposed to kind of letting somebody else have that. What will we be talking about a year from now? With DAO specifically yeah. or with Sacred Factory? Uh, well, yeah, Sacred yeah. Factory. I'm just um, fascinated by DAOs right now. So. Well, I think we'll be, there's a lot of conversation about the difficulties of decentralization, specifically with democracy. Democracy is a very hard thing to get right. We yeah. should be exploring how to do democracy quite well. And maybe we'll figure out some new things. It, you know, it's an old question. I think it's going to be difficult to really revolutionize democracy. But just seeing democracy finding its way into the workplace is really interesting. This is something that is really new. And having that happen in a more frequent basis and and becoming more widely adopted and more corporations are using a democratic approach to their systems is going to be something that I think will blow up over the next year, hopefully. And this will lead to a whole new way of living your life. You go to work nine to five, most people do, and you are living in a dictatorship. But we're supposed to be living in a democracy, so I think we'll hopefully see a lot of that change. And Sucker Factory is a place to explore that with a creative element to it. And so how can people get involved? Uh, you can, yeah, you can go to suckerfactory.com and you can join our Discord. Of course, DAOs are using that to communicate. And if you have something to contribute, if you're an artist, if you'd like to build VR worlds, if you just like to appreciate art, collect art, we use an entirely democratic approach to collecting the art that we exhibit. So we could help people just, you know, people could help just say like, this is the vibe. This is something that's cool that we really respect and think it should be live in your actual space in downtown Los Angeles. And yeah, just go to secfactory.com and check us out.
With almost $25 billion in sales in 2021, there's no denying the NFT market is on fire. But what many investors don't realize is demand has skyrocketed for another asset, thanks in part to this NFT boom. The asset I'm talking about is multi-million dollar blue chip art. And it's been so hot, a Banksy offering on the Masterworks platform recently sold for $7.4 million. And what's even more incredible is all shares of this Banksy offering sold out in just three hours. According to Masterworks, similar works by Banksy saw a price appreciation of 19.9% from 2007 to 2020, outpacing the S&P 500 by nearly a factor of two over the same time period. And Masterworks investors recently saw a 32% annualized appreciation net of fees from the sale of another Banksy painting called Mona Lisa. To discover how to buy into similar offerings by Banksy, Picasso, and Monet for a fraction of the cost of the entire painting, visit edgeofnft.com masterworks. That's edgeofnft.com masterworks. For important disclosures, visit masterworks.io disclaimer. Hey, it's your Lazara at NFTLA with Wahid Shamas from Faith Tribe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and how is it here for you? It's amazing. So we're based out of Paris. So uh -huh. It's a little bit of a, a distance very to nice. come here, but it's been very exciting. An action-packed week. So Yeah, well, thank you for coming all the way from Europe. Thanks. I mean, it shows that you got to be here at NFTLA. No, absolutely. I really like the guys at Edge. And, yeah. You know, we had a great podcast in February, mm. and we really clicked. And yeah, they convinced me that this is a place to be there. And what I'm very excited about is I don't always go to conferences where I see a lot of artists. So we're very knee-deep in the fashion industry. Okay. But we are a fashion brand that really incorporates street fashion and street art and a lot of different individuals that are really pioneering a lot of things and so for us to get that audience was very important to us yeah so tell us more about faith tribe yeah so a little bit different because we are an example of a very existing business we've uh -huh. been around for 21 years wow that completely sort of said we're going to disrupt our own company and completely pivot to the blockchain okay and what made us unique was since 21 years ago we really pioneered what we call open source fashion which just basically means that more than half our items are created by um, independent artists and different independent designers. And just when the boom of NFTs happened, I would say like May of last year, mm -hmm. coupled with the fact that we just came out of a very gruesome experience with COVID, a lot of blockchain luminaries said, you guys are getting this wrong. You have a great brand, but this open source ecosystem you have is special. Mm -hmm. You ought to tokenize it. So instead of working with 12 or 20 or 30 different independent artists in Miami, London, et cetera, work with thousands globally. And so we basically said, okay, Faith Connection, a very well-known brand, and people who visit our website, we've had the who's who wear it, and it's a very funky streetwear kind of brand for the likes of Rihanna and Beyonce and others. All right, I got to get some yeah, clothes there. Absolutely. <laughs> I apologize I'm not wearing them today because I'm about to board a flight it's all, all the way to Dubai. Amazing. So I right. have to look like this, otherwise I would be I in our judge. fashion. Continue. <laughs> and so we tokenize this whole thing. So what does it mean? It means that any independent designer can come to our platform, use our design studio. We mint their NFTs. Most importantly, and this differentiates us, we manufacture their clothing. We source the leather, their tweed. We've got our factories in production in Italy and Portugal and Turkey. And then we put them in the business of fashion. We sell them mm. on Farfetch and on the metaverse. So we're the only guys really doing this now because all our physical competitors yeah. don't do open source fashion. And all our digital competitors only do digital, not the physical digital. So it's very, very exciting. I'm very impressed. That is awesome and really needed because when we talk about utility and including sure. with fashion, 
you could have something cool like as an NFT or what your digital identity in the metaverse. Sure. But then what makes it even cooler is to be able to like actually acquire that as a good Physi- physical Everything good. we do is physical and digital. Yeah. And our audience, our target audience are probably not the most blockchain crypto savvy. They're independent artists and, mm. and the numbers are crazy. It's like, I would say 200 star designers control 90% of a three trillion industry. But that 400 billion nugget, 300 to 400 billion, actually some say it's up to 450 of independent designers, no one's catering to them. And there's like 50,000 of them globally, okay? So they have no scale, they can't buy merchandise, they can't buy materials, they can't get taken seriously for factories and e-commerce sites. So just like if you're a driver and you have a car, you can get on Uber and be commercial in 24 hours. Yeah. If you have a house, you could be on Airbnb and share your home. So for us, this shared economy, we're really empowering designers to come on. It's not just about metaverse. We have lots of competitors doing this for just the metaverse, Mm -hmm. but no one really doing this DAO that targets both the physical and digital. That's quite unique. And how did you pivot so quickly into this space? Because that could be difficult when you have more of a traditional company, or is it because you've always just innovated? No, so we are avant-garde streetwear. You know, our star designers came from Balmain, Paco Rabanne, so we've been around for a long time. But you go through a gut punch like COVID, and then there's three very systemic big things happening. You seem like very fashionable, so you probably relate to this. People today do not want to wait for a collection. They want their merchandise on-demand manufactured, delivered right now. They also are sick and tired of Vogue telling them exactly what to wear, okay? And COVID really sort of accelerated all these demographic mm-hmm. trends, okay? So collections are out. I mean, they're in, but, but yeah. they're no longer popular. On-demand manufacturing is very key. And then finally, people want immersive experiences. They want to show off on the metaverse and go to a nightclub and wear something here and there. And that is really disrupting the industry. So for us, coming out of COVID, we had a carte blanche to say, okay, let's use this as an opportunity to really fundamentally change our business. So Faith Connection is a great brand. It will always be there to inspire artists. But we are now in the business of boosting other people's brands. Because for 21 years, these independent designers mm-hmm. were designing for us and now we're building their own brands. You're building the infrastructure for them to support them. Absolutely. The whole supply chain. Where do you see the trends going a year from now? What will we be talking about? Yeah. So a year from now, or five years. No you always one, say the five. A very good question. So the metaverse is very democratic. And if you think finance and banks are rigged, fashion is rigged tenfold more. Okay. Very few people control the entire industry. And they control it in a way because that's how they can sell a jacket for 10, 20, 30,000 euros or dollars. And so there's this sort of huge pyramid, glass ceiling kind of thing. And the metaverse kind of broke that down. Hmm. But the big brands are coming. Yeah. Okay, so in five, 10 years, I fear that again, big brands are going to dominate. And again, that whole thing. And so it's left up to brands like ours or even independent designers to really break through in order to give a voice for the independent people. Yeah, and to come together, I think, right? Like umbrella companies that want to incubate and act as a launch pad. I think that's really great needed. What advice do you have for artists or new people coming into the space? Yeah, so give people a chance. I mean, there's a lot of artists were stunned when I talked to them on the circuit and they say, so I'm not going to be under your brand. I'm like, no, we're going to build your brand. You could be under my brand, but that's not the whole point. Okay, how many FTRB tokens do I need in order to start the utility, the design studio, the on-demand manufacturing, etc.? And I say, well, you got to buy the token in order for you to use it, but you don't have to buy the token. You can come on and not borrow, but use existing tokens that stakeholders have placed for you. Okay, huh. and then you can share the economics with the stakeholders. They're Interesting. Like, hmm. So I'm a talented designer from Quebec or Colombo, Sri Lanka or Sydney, and I can just come on 
and no collateral and just take the tokens and start using the business of fashion? And the answer is yes. And that is quite intimidating, let alone people not understanding blockchain necessarily, because my audience is not blockchain people, it's real designers globally. So that's our big breakthrough right now, to go around the world to really send the message out. So why the blockchain? Because the blockchain is just a cooler, and two, it makes the transactions faster, it unifies a community, it synchronizes well with the metaverse and the physical. That's what we're focusing on right now. And if we can break through, then many, many people are going to be empowered. Okay, where can people go to find out more yeah. to get involved? Yeah, so I don't know what other people do in the interview. They probably say, go to our website, faithtribe.io or yeah. faithconnection.com and join our communities. I just want to send one message out out, which yeah. is, you don't have to buy our token, just spread the word, right? It's just spread the word, onboard artists. We have a beta version, number one, because people want utility right now. It's going to take us a year to build the portal, but we have the factories, we have the production. So right now you can go on our system, our website and submit designs and we call you physically and we put you in the business of fashion. So we can start everything that I'm talking about right now because we've been living the white paper for 21 years. Of course, the permissionless, seamless portal will be ready in probably a year. Okay, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure to visit edgeofnft.com slash discord to continue the conversation. And also visit edgeofnft.com slash AR to plant a 3D augmented reality tree right from your mobile device inspired by our forthcoming Living Tree NFT collection, which will offer you the hottest alpha and participatory benefits within our ecosystem. The Living Tree NFT collection will also plant over 100,000 real trees. All right. Well, guys, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.